Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. All right, we'll continue with our study on the unpardonable sin. And this is going to be part number three. The unpardonable sin, part number three. We are actually looking at the question, is there anything called unpardonable sin? That's what we're trying to discover in the from scriptures. Um, let's take our reading today from, first reading from Mark chapter 3, 28 to 29. King James. Mark chapter 3, 28 to 29. And it says, Verily I say unto you, All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men. And blasphemies wherewith so ever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness but it's in damnation of eternal, I mean, danger of eternal damnation. Hallelujah. It's in danger of eternal damnation. Excuse me. Let me remove this background. Let it be just plain. It's, it's fighting. Are you done? Okay, so, let's look at this scripture again. Uh, a simple statement. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost had ever forgiveness. Therefore, about verse 8 is the key point. Look at verse 8. Verse number 8, I mean 28 rather. Verse number 28 tells us something there which I, I, I will need you to, to pick up for. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men. How many sins? No. I mean, did you, did you read that? How many sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men? All. <laughs> I mean, Jesus said that. Not me. Huh? Now he said, All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemy where we still blaspheme, the child of blaspheme shall be forgiven. That's why last week when we looked at the scripture, talking about those who crucify afresh the Lord. Do you understand that? Now, can I tell you something that even those who crucified Jesus on the cross, their sins have been forgiven. Why? Because Jesus said, Father, forgive them their sins, for they know not what they do. Did he say so? <laughs> Hallelujah. Even those that crucified him, he prayed. And are you trying to tell me that God never answered the prayer of Jesus? When he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Just because he prayed, their sins were forgiven. And here he's saying that all manner of sins. <laughs> you know what? I didn't study electricity or electrical engineering. But if I write a book on electrical engineering, and you try to buy that book and wire your house with it, then you are gone. <laughs> are you following what I'm talking about? If you dare go buy the book that I'll publish on electrical 
engineering. Then I'm going to get a book for you how to wire your house. And you buy that book and want to follow precept by precept, your house will go up in flames. And you see, what am I trying to say? A lot of teachers, in fact, there is no more a place of ignorance are touching this particular subject of unpardonable sin. As far as teachers, preachers are concerned. The ranting that comes up when they read this scripture is something else. Are you with me? It's one of the subjects where ministers have really displayed high level of ignorance when it comes to the issue of this unpardonable sin. High level of ignorance. So it's synonymous to me writing a book for you on electrical engineering and going to buy the book. I have no clue about electrical engineering. So if I dare write a book and you go and purchase that, you are not only wasting your money, you are going to set your house a place. And that's the way it is. When you listen to people who teach from this place and teach on this particular subject who have no clue. Now what's the next thing that happens? You see a lot of people, they torture themselves with doubt and anxiety over whether they have committed this sin or not. They live every day perpetually under the, I mean, that strict conviction of fear, doubt, unbelief. Are you following what I'm talking about? Just because of this. But look at what Jesus said. Oh, man out of sins. I forgive it. Including blasphemy. As of like we mentioned it, how that he blasphemed. They even said all of this. But Jesus said, even that. Is forgiven. I'm not the one that said it. He said it. And like I said, even those who rejected him, renounced him, crucified him, he prayed to the Father, forgive them, for they don't know what to do. Are you trying to tell me that those people were not forgiven? Hallelujah. I'm, I'm saying again that there's a high level of ignorance when it comes to this subject. Among ministers, among teachers, among those who profess the faith. And so many people live their life with fear, doubt, unbelief, anxiety as to whether they are still in the faith or not. They try to find out, have I committed a sin or not? I would like us to, you see, Jesus made this statement to two classes of people. And what are those people? The scribes and the Pharisees. In Mark that I just read, he was speaking to the scribes. Because he performed a miracle. That a mighty twelve we are going to look at, he was speaking to the Pharisees. Because he performed a miracle. You see, when people are reading, they don't take time to examine. Step by step, precept by precept, line by line. The language of the author. They don't have time to do that. They just read their mind. It was already there. Let's go to Matthew 12. I will start reading from verse 22. Matthew 12, we start reading from verse 22. I want to remind us that this is one of the subjects that many sons have so displayed a high level of ignorance and it has caused a lot of anxiety, depression. A lot of people, some even 
still are living the faith because they feel they've committed a sin that cannot be forgiven. Now, I'm not saying all of these things so that you're going to live a, a crazy life. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just talking what the scripture says. And we have to believe what the scripture says. Not our petty ideas or ideologies or feelings. Not anything we teach so that men can now run to God. No, you don't drive people to God with fear. You drive them to God with love. Praise the Lord. Isaiah mighty chapter 12, verse 22 we read. Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb. And he healed him insomuch that the blind and the dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not thee the son of David? <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? Is not thee the son of David? That is, is not thee the promised seed of David the Messiah? That's the question that we're asking. Are you there with me? They have been watching him perform these miracles, listening to him, doing all of those signs and wonders. And they came to that conclusion. This must be that promised Messiah. Are you there with me? Here they've come to that conclusion, the comprehension, the understanding. That this must be that promised Messiah that the Bible spoke about. Is this not the son of David the Messiah? That's the question we're asking. It was not an exclamation of, uh, how do I put it? This was not just like a surprise, it was a surprise at the same time, but they were trying to figure out, say, oh, now finally we've got the Messiah. It was not an exclamation of doubt. But an exclamation of joy. That finally the Messiah promised by the prophet had finally arrived. We've seen him. One of the prophecies that they were believed was Isaiah 35, reading from 4 to 6. Let's go there. Isaiah chapter 35 from 4 to 6. Say to them that are fearful hearts, be strong. Hallelujah. Say to them, fearful, be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come. With vengeance, even God with a recompense, He will come and save you. Verse 5 says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be what? And the ears of the deaf shall be what? The verse 6 says, Then shall the lame man leap as hearts, that the lame will walk, and the tongues of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness shall water break forth, break out, and stream in the desert. This is one of the scriptures, the book of Deuteronomy, but this is one of the major scriptures that they have always believed in when the son of David shows up, when the Messiah comes. This is what he's going to be doing. So when he performed those miracles on that young man that was dumb and blind and lame, people said, no, this is the man we'll be waiting for. Are you sitting there with me? 
Let me prove that again to you. In the case of John the Baptist, go to Luke chapter 7. Let's look at verse 19. Luke chapter 7, verse 19. Hallelujah. And John calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Adore he that should come, or looking for another. Adore he that you come, are you the Messiah? That the prophet has spoken about, are you the one, or we should wait for another? But the men were come unto him, verse 20. They said unto John the Baptist, that sent us unto thee, saying, Are thou he that should come, or look we for another? And in that same hour, he cured many of the infirmities and plagues, and of evil spirits. And unto many that were blind, he gave sight. Then Jesus answered, said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard. How that the blind see, the lame walk, and lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Hallelujah. What do you think that Jesus is trying to tell John here? I am the Messiah that has been expected. So they told the disciples, do you see all of those things that I'm doing? The disciples of John said, go back and tell him. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, gospel being preached. These are signs that prove that this person is the Messiah, the son of David that they are waiting for. Are you sitting there with me now? I want you to get it. So, the key thing by which they were supposed to identify who Jesus was as the Messiah was the sign miracles that he was performing. So, when you read the account then in Matthew chapter 12 now, when the people said, this must be the son of David the Messiah, what is the next thing that happened to the Pharisees? They were filled with jealousy and rage. Here they have seen an undeniable miracle performed. Are you there? Now the common people, who are not the religious set of people now, who've come to understand the prophecy, they knew what the prophecy was all about. They were not beginning to draw that conclusion that this must be the Messiah. That was promised being the son of David. The son of the living God. In other words, the disciples, I mean, the Pharisees, they were now disturbed that this man, people are finally getting to believe in him that he is the Messiah. Are you seeing that? One of the problems the Pharisees was they were always afraid of losing the people. They were afraid of losing their prestige. And this is why some of these things we teach you here cannot be taught in other churches. I remember somebody spoke to me in 2005. We were having a conference and the person 
Call me forth in one of the big conferences we are in Lagos. He told the archers, let you look for somebody from Ori. His name is David Ogaga. We want to see him. Then I went. And the person said, Are you the one that wrote those books? I said, Yes. Are you the one that teach this? I said, Yes. So listen, everything you are teaching is true, but we can't teach it to our people. Because if we do, our church will come down. It has taken all years to build this church. Why they will not teach the truth that I was talking about was because they are afraid they will lose their membership. They told me plainly, and that is what made me to leave that network. Plain talk that what you are teaching is the truth, but we can't teach our people. If we do, people will go away because we've been teaching other things all along. So to maintain their status quo, they refuse to imbibe what God is saying just because they want to keep a church system going. That is the way the Pharisees were. They don't want anything that will lose, make them to lose their prestige, their position, their authority. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23? The seat of Moses' seat. They had authority, they had power over the people. They dictate the life of the people through the doctrines and the things that they were propagating. So here was Jesus and the people have come to the conclusion that man, this must be the son of God, I mean son of David that we're waiting for. All the signs and miracles performing is a clear picture. This is a man. The Pharisees now were disturbed. Hallelujah. So what was the next thing they wanted to do? They wanted to make sure they dissuade the people from following Jesus or believing in him. So now this way they launch into the accusation. Are you there with me? They, they just feel if they can imagine to allow this man to continue, the popularity of Jesus is going to grow beyond bounds. Amen? So they must look for something to accuse him about. Look at the case of John chapter 12. Let's go to John chapter 12. I'll show you something. What the Pharisees did. John 12 verse 18. John 12 18. For this call the people also met him. For that they heard that he had done this miracle. What miracle? In John 11 he healed. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Are you getting that? Okay. Look at the next verse. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, <laughs> they've come now. <laughs> Can you see that? Perceive how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the whole world is gone after him. Can you not see what is happening? Are you there with me? Their heart was pumping. Wait, this thing is going to take over. He said, everybody's following him now. Look at verse 10. Go back to verse 10 of last year's chapter. John 12. I mean John 12 verse number 12. But the chief priest. John 12 verse number 12. But the chief priest consulted that they might put Lazarus unto what? Unto death. Let's kill him. Can you? I mean, I want you to see how far they were so threatened by the miracle that Jesus was performing. 
What they say they want to do? They want to kill Lazarus. <laughs> Can you see that? <laughs> Let's kill him. And, and people who don't really want you to survive, they always try to kill your miracles. They try as much as possible to kill your miracles. Let's kill Lazarus. So that people will no longer believe that he is a Messiah. Look at verse 11. Because by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Simple. Can you see that? And this is what happened in the case of Lazarus. So what did he intend to do? Let's kill Lazarus. If we kill Lazarus, his miracle is gone. You see, can't you see that the whole world have started following him? Convention has come to people that this must be the Messiah that he expected. So what are we going to do to stop this move? That is a problem. That's all about we're reading. That's what led to the accusation. So this miracle cannot be wished away. It's not something they say, oh man, these are, things are not real. People are seeing dumb people talk, blind see, lame walk, Lazarus rage. There is nothing they are going to do about this miracle. They've come to the conclusion, man, there's nothing we can do. We can't stop this miracle happening, but we can accuse him that he's using the wrong spirit. Are you there? The miracles were real, definite proof, and supernatural. Something that you cannot just wish away. So how can they explain this to the people to convince them that though they are real miracles, but Jesus was not the real man they were looking for? That's the whole thing. Are you there with me? Yeah. These miracles are true, but this is not the real man. Because the people are not concluding this will be the son of David. Is that okay? So what are we going to do? Because the miracles are there. We can see everything. Everybody is seeing it. In fact, the whole world has started going after him. They don't believe in Jesus. So what are we going to do to stop the people from believing in him? Let's accuse them that he's in the wrong spirit. You see the beginning of the genesis of the whole matter. So go to verse 24. Mighty chapter 12 verse 24 now. Hallelujah. Mighty 12 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out devils, but by Bezebub, the prince of the devils. Praise God. <laughs> Can you see that? Now let's go back to verse 3, 23, and then you look at it together. Verse 23. All the people were amazed and said, It's not this, the son of David. Can you get that? This must be the Messiah. And now the Pharisees showed up. What are you talking about? Because of the miracles? Oh no. It's not. This fellow you're thinking about that the son of David is not. Because the spirit is using is the spirit of Bezebel. So don't believe him. That was just all. Did you get it now? Praise the Lord. Now Jesus designed their thoughts. Why they were bringing this terrible accusation against him. And so he tried to refute their statement. That he's using the spirit of Bezebub. So, verse 23, the people believe. Verse 24, the Pharisees are trying to counteract that belief. Verse 25, 
Jesus wants to refute what they are saying. So go to verse 25. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to dissolution. And every city or house divided against itself shall be what? Hallelujah. And if Satan drives out Satan, he has divided his house are divided against himself. And disunity, as it were, how then will his kingdom last? He's not trying to question them. How can Satan's kingdom continue? Because the important thing is Satan is afflicting the people and is the head of the kingdom. Now, if you say I'm using the spirit of Bezebub to deliver the people, how can the kingdom of Satan stand? Praise the Lord. Are you still there? And he said, and cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall the kingdom stand? Verse 27. And if by Bezebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? For therefore they shall be your judges. Who is these your children? You know there were exorcism going on before. The example were the sons of Sceva. You understand that? Good. But this instance, we're looking at somebody like Peter and the rest of those people casting out devils. If you think I'm using the spirit of Beelzebub, what about your own children? People like Peter, people like Mark, all those people that are casting out devils. With what spirit are they doing it? But you begin to see the approach of Jesus Christ. He came quietly and tried to explain to them and make the people know because as he was speaking the people also were hearing just to create a conviction on the people's hearts praise the living God and so verse 28 he says but if I cast out devils by the spirit of God then what? the kingdom of God has come unto you then verse 29 or else how can one enter into the strong man's house and spoil his good, except the false bind the strong man, then he will spoil his house. Verse 30. He that is not with me is against me, and he that guide not with me scattereth abroad. Now, in closing this solemn discussion or remark, he now make the next statement. What was the next statement? Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin. Everybody say all manner. <laughs> all manner of sin shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Look at the next verse. And he says, And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh a word against the Holy Ghost, he shall not be forgiven him, neither in this age, nor in the age to come. You have to understand when he use the word war, it's aeon in the Greek, and aeon means an age. 
So what age was he talking about? Before the cross. That was the age he was referring to. After the cross, we enter the age of the Holy Ghost, which is the age of the kingdom. Now he's saying, before the cross, if you speak against the Holy Spirit, by implication you are rejecting the Holy Spirit, you are not going to be part of the kingdom, as it were. Even at that time, you can be part of a disciple, because the Holy Spirit will bring you in. Now after death and resurrection, there is no way you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, because already you rejected him. You don't believe it. Amen? So this is what Jesus was now speaking to them about. And so when we go again now, remember now you're dealing with the Pharisees here. So when you go to the issue of Mark chapter 3, let's look at verse 28. Mark 3, we can look at verse 28 again and see. Verily I say unto you, all sin shall be forgiven unto the sons of men. And blasphemy where we swear they shall blaspheme. But it shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost had never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Because, that's what I want you to note. They said he had an unclean spirit. Are you getting the picture? Praise the living God. So what really was the crime of the Pharisees and the scribes? Because number one, the Pharisees and the scribes, they knew exactly what they were doing. They knew for sure what they were doing. Remember we read in the book of John, John 12, they said the whole world has gone after him. Let's kill Lazarus so that the miracle will not stand. So everything that they were working on was a calculated attempt to disparage the reputation of Jesus. They knew exactly what they were doing. They just wanted to get the public not to believe in Jesus Christ. Is that okay? Their scheme against Jesus were actually deliberate, calculated. For instance, you remember in John 3 verse number 2, a notable rabbi of the Jews, remember? Nicodemus. Look at his confession. John 3 verse number 2. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Who is talking? A Pharisee. We know. <laughs> Can you see that? So it's not as if they don't know. They knew very well. So everything we're talking about, the, 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 the Beelzebub and all of those things, it was just an attempt to make sure people don't follow Jesus. Not that they don't believe or they don't even know. Because here is a confession of Nicodemus. We know. Who are the we? We the camp of the Pharisees, we know this. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these things, this sign that you do. Unless God is what? Is with him. For many of them knew better. Or like Nicodemus. They still plotted to destroy him. Nicodemus instead of, it's like he was not joining camp with the people. He decided to come quietly in the night to discuss this matter with Jesus. And he made a statement. We know that you are a teacher come from God. 
For no man can do this thing except God be with him. That means Nicodemus, even the Pharisees, they were convinced that this is the Messiah. But what can we do to stop the people? Let's bring up false accusation. Are you sitting with me? And that's the kind of thing that happens to a lot of people ministries. When they see certain things going on in your ministry, what's the next thing? They want to look for certain things. They want to look for some statements. You know? Hallelujah. So like Nicodemus, the other people don't know what they're doing. They have this great hatred for Jesus and they just wanted to make sure his reputation he brought down. Because he was presenting a threat to their power, to their empire, to their ego. Is that okay? Hallelujah. So Jesus here was warning them of the dead consequences of their attitude and action. That's the statement in verse 25. And all of that. They were just sinning against God in heaven above and against the Son of God on the earth. They were resisting and opposing, withstanding, confronting, attacking, and repulsing the Holy Spirit, the very activity and ministration of God towards men. That's what they were attacking. Therefore, they were in danger of blaspheming the Holy Ghost. Are you there? Praise the Lord. Now the key in the whole thing, I'm asking the question, what was the sin of the Pharisees? The key lies in the word that they use is using an unclean spirit. It is verse 30 of Mark chapter 3. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now the point is this. God in his plan of redemption visited man as God. The father. Man says he's the God of the Jews. Then he came at Jesus the son. And he said Jesus of Nazareth. Then he said I will still get man back to myself. But this time I'm coming as what? The Holy Spirit. Amen? If you reject my last chance for you in this age, then, that is the age of the law now, you will not be able to assess the age of the kingdom, which is the age of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Which is the world to come. This is the next means or agenda for me to get you back to myself. We read this before in John 16. So we can go back there. John 16 verse number 7. Hallelujah. John 16 verse number 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. If, I, if it's expedient for you that I go away for if I go not away, the comfort I will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him on to you. What's the next thing? Verse 8. It says, And when he's come, he will reprove the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not in me. 
of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judge. Praise the living God. Are you there with me? Now I need to get this. So now, the blaspheme against God, the blaspheme against the Son, and now they are blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Let's move on. There is something so important that I would like you to see now. First Corinthians 12, verse number 3. First Corinthians 12, verse number 3. Wherefore I give to you understanding that no man speaking by the Spirit of God, called Jesus, accursed, hallelujah, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by what? The Holy Ghost. Now remember, when you accept Jesus as your Lord, you are saved. And it's not possible to call Jesus Lord without the aid of the Holy Spirit. Now if you reject the Holy Spirit, that means you can't be able to call on the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you getting the implication of what we're doing? But we're moving on. Because by the time we get to where we are supposed to be, you understand that the scripture made it abundantly clear that all tongues shall confess, all knees shall bow, and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That is another age that we're going to enter into. The age of the sons of God. Hallelujah. When we move in there, I'll make you see that. Because you see, Jesus was speaking to the Jews and telling them, A time is coming when you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Then he's not talking about Jesus as an individual. He's talking about his body. Manifested sons. And if they say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, then they've already confessed that Jesus is Lord. Can you get that? Let's just take it easy. We'll get there. So reading from this 1 Corinthians 12, the day any man calls on the Lord Jesus Christ, which cannot do except by the Holy Spirit, his sins are forgiven him. Am I right? Come on, are we together? Good. In that sense, you can say, there is no word unpardonable sin. And don't forget something in John chapter 4 verse 44, I mean 6 verse 44, Jesus said no man can come to me except the father which has sent him, draw him and I will raise him up what? At the last day. John 6 44 No man can come to me John 6, 44. Hallelujah. Except the Father which has sent me draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. Hallelujah. Can you get that? Good. Praise the Lord. So, we see here that the Father in heaven is the unseen God or the invisible God 
The Son is the visible manifestation of God in human flesh. The historic Jesus of some 2,000 years ago. The Father is unseen. The Son is invisible, invisible, fleshly manifested of the invisible God. The Holy Spirit, on the other hand, is the activity, the action, the motion, the operation, the force, the energy, the influence of God towards men. What he said, except the Father draw. How is the Father going to draw you? By the Spirit. Are you there with me? By the Spirit. That's how the Father draws you. He draws you by the Spirit. God is the invisible man in the heavens. Jesus is the Son of God made manifest that you can see. But the Holy Spirit is the energy of God. I explained this, I think, the first section in this study. When you go buy battery for your torchlight, you you buy power. Is that okay? Good. You buy the battery, you know. Even if the battery for your car, you have dry cells and wet cells, whatever the case may be. You know that? But it's a battery. The power is in the battery. But when you connect the two terminals of the battery, what do you get? You get light or energy fire up. Now you release energy into your car to be able to drive. But the power is locked up where? In the cell. So the Holy Spirit is actually the energy of God with which he creates. Are you following this? Praise the Lord. See, the English word spirit is from the Latin word spirare, meaning to breathe. The words respiration, expiration, and inspiration are all kind of derived from the same source, spirit, which is spirare. It's a Latin word. Is that okay? Similarly, the Greek word pneuma comes from new, meaning to breathe or blow. And the Hebrew ruach is believed to come from a root having the same meaning, to breathe or blow. You know what Job used to say? The breath of the Lord hammered me. Is that okay? Good. So what's the breath of the Lord? The Spirit of God. You see that? Hallelujah. So the Holy Spirit is God's breath. God's outbreathing, God's energy force by which he accomplishes his purposes and executes his will. We need to understand this first. Is that okay? It's the breath of God. It's just like say, God breathed and man did what? Man lived. God breaks into the nostril of man and he became a living soul. Praise the Lord. Many times we have already come to conclude or the conclusion that the Holy Spirit is the power of God. That is not accurate. 
And certainly has power, but power is basically the ability or capacity to act or do things. And it can be latent, dormant, or inactive. Resident in someone or something. Force, on the other hand, more specifically describes energy projected and exalted on persons or things. And may be defined as an influence which produces or tends to produce motion or change of motion. Power may be likened to the stored energy in a battery, like I'm saying. Why force can be compared to the current flowing from such battery. Is that okay? Good. Force then more accurately represent the sense of the Hebrew terms, the Hebrew and Greek terms as related to God's spirit. Hallelujah. And this is born out by a lot of scriptures if you want to read. We may not have time to do now. So, the Holy Spirit is God's energy force. It is God's energy force projected and extended upon man. It is God's motion, action, influence in one measure or the other upon man. Let me read a scripture. Romans chapter 2 verse number 4. Romans 2 verse number 4. Or despised thou the riches of the goodness of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee toward repentance. That is to say, you can't repent all of yourself or by yourself. There is a force acting on you from behind the scene. Amen. There is a propelling force. That's why in John 6, 44, it said, No man can come unto me except the Father draws him. What do you mean? To draw means to drag. Something that forces you to do what ordinarily you never wanted to do. That's what it means to drag. Here the scripture is saying, you have to understand it, that the goodness of God leaded it toward to repentance. You never repented of your own will, if you will. You don't have the ability to make that choice. I'm sorry. You don't have it. Hallelujah. So this is part of the action of the Holy Spirit working on you. Unknown to you. You know the story of uh, the widow of Zarephath that I keep always emphasizing. The verse now of that chapter, you know what the Bible says there? God was speaking to Elijah, Elijah, and he said, I've commanded the widow of Zarephath to feed you. But the point is, the widow never knew that all that she was not going to do was a response to a command. She was walking in obedience to a command which she never knew about. I've commanded a widow to feed thee. Some of you, the good you do, you don't even know why and how you do them. When you start thinking of ministering to somebody, you may not even know why you're having that thought. 
But the good thing I have to let you know is this. When you respond in obedience to that leading, there is a reward that comes to you. The widow fed and finally she became a merchant in the city selling oil because she responded to that obedience, I mean that commandment. So sometimes when you respond to the commandment of God asking you to do certain things, he's preparing you for a great harvest. That's why you don't have it in your heart. If you're having a ministration to do good, to do something, to give hands, to, I mean, whatever it is that just strikes you to do, just know that there's a force behind the scene propelling you to do that thing. And it's leading you to a great harvest that you least expected. I've commanded the widow of Zarephath to do what? To feed you. Now the woman was saying initially, well, I have nothing, just a little oil, whatever, little food, whatever, you know. But she never knew she was responding to the command from the same world. And at the end, she got all her debt paid out and she had enough to sell, to feed herself and the children. The oil will not stop except because she had no other vessel to put in the oil. Why? Because she responded to an unseen propelling force which is the spirit of God. Are you there with me? So Jehovah God accomplishes the creation of the universe by means of his spirit or energy force. You remember that story? Genesis 1 verse 2. The spirit, the energy force of God was moving to and fro over the surface of the waters. That's Genesis 1 and 2. The energy force of God. Hallelujah. Amen. In Psalm 33 verse 6, we find the same thing. By the word of the Lord, where the heavens made, and all the hosts of them, by the bread, the spirit of his mouth, the words were made. Praise the Lord. So like a powerful energy, God's spirit can be sent forth to exert power over even things that have no bodily form or visible contact. Without which is acted upon. God can do just things. Just remember that. Just water, nothing. And the spirit was moving. And anytime he speaks a word, that thing comes into existence. Let it be light, there was light. Let it be trees, there were trees. Let it be fish, there was fish. The force of creation was taking place. That's the spirit of God. The energy force of God. Hallelujah. You see, when you create, you use hands to do stuff. Maybe like a carpenter, furniture guy, going to get your wood, get your nail, get your hammer, use your hand, arrange everything. Use your hand to create, isn't it? Praise the Lord. If you look at that mighty 12 verse 28, Jesus used the word there, if I cast a devil by the Spirit of God, then the Spirit of God has come unto you. But let's look at the book of Luke chapter 11 verse 20. The same thing that Jesus said. Luke 11 verse 20. What did he say? But if I, with what? The finger of God. Hallelujah. Cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. 
If I will walk the finger of God, where do you find the finger? Finger is in the hands. Might you call that same finger what? Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit is the finger of God, which is the hand of God, which is the energy creative part of God. Is anybody understanding what I'm saying? You want to create, you use your hand to mold, to fix. So the energy force of God, which is the Spirit, is what God uses to fix stuff. And the Bible refers to that as what? The finger of God, or the hand of God, because fingers are found where? In hands. Is it making sense to you? Hallelujah. So, let's see what happens. I mean, does that make sense to you as to what the spirit is? Spirit is the creative energy of God. It's the finger of God. Luke eleven twenty, by which God creates, by which God moves. Praise the living God. So the spirit is the walking the activity of God towards mankind. Amen? So, now the religious leaders were not in danger of committing the opponent because they said that Jesus performed miracles by the power of the devil. That was not what the real problem is. Because Jesus already said that even if you blaspheme, all sins are forgiven. So what was the problem of these rulers that they cannot be forgiven now? What is it? What kind of sin were they committing? It is no longer sin or blasphemy because God said, you'll be forgiven. What was their real issue? Their real issue was unbelief. <laughs> are you sitting with me? Oh man. Blasphemy is not a condemnation. Because I already said, all oh, blasphemy shall be forgiven men. There's not a sin that you committed yesterday, but what if you come, come to Christ today? He will definitely forgive you and accept you. Am I right? You sinned yesterday and you come to Christ today. Will your sin be forgiven or not? They'll be forgiven. So how come we are now beginning to say, well, there is a sin that cannot be forgiven? Hallelujah. His mercies are higher than the heavens, we must know. What then was their problem now, like I'm saying? They were expressing an attitude of what? Unbelief. Which was persistence and calculated rejection of the activity of God towards man. It was a schemed, calculated, projected rejection against the force of God's creation. Unbelief was their greatest problem. Not blasphemy. Because they knew Nicodemus confessed that, didn't it? No man can do this thing except God be with him. They knew that he was the son of God. But they just want to harden their heart against the work of the Holy Spirit. So they were resisting the Holy Spirit, striving against the influence of God upon mankind and their hearts. Let me show you something. Help me now. Let me show you something in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7. 
And let's look at verse 51. The book of Acts chapter 7 verse 51. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You stiff naked and uncircumcised and heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your father did, so do ye. Very simple. So they have always been resisting the Holy Spirit. Can you get that? And here Stephen is telling them, this is what your father did and we are doing the same thing right now. Praise the Lord. So, the same condition existed in their father's time, existed in our time, and guess what? It's existing today. They were resisting the Holy Ghost. The key was to move towards God. In every new move, is through the Holy Spirit. We have to understand that. When God wants to do anything new, it's going to come through the Holy Spirit. So if you resist the Holy Spirit, or reject the Holy Spirit, you cannot find yourself in the new move of God. Amen? Praise the living God. Now, I need to show you something very important. When a new move of God is to come, one thing must first be observed, and that is repentance. Is that okay? Now, when John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness and preaching the gospel of repentance, he was preparing the people's heart against the new move of God, which is Christ coming. But guess what? The Pharisees rejected the baptism of John. So there was no room for them to accept the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying here. John personally told them, you rejected this message against yourself. So they rejected the Holy Spirit because the first of all they rejected the baptism of John the Baptist which was repentance towards the coming he was preparing them for the coming of Christ so there was no way having rejected that exercise or that beginning for them to believe in what Jesus was doing it's practically impossible it shows one thing if we must move into the near season of God there are some things you must repent of and repent from. Are you still with me? Hearing what we are saying now is not enough. There are things you must repent from. They could be your doctrines, they could be your tradition, they could be your customs, or else you cannot enter into the new season that God has in mind. What proceed and precede a new move of God by the Holy Spirit is repentance. But the Pharisees rejected that. That they were not going to repent, as it were. How many of you remember that Jesus himself went for baptism? And for what reason? He was not a sinner, so if repentance was for sin, so what was the sin of Jesus? But he repented of the law because he was born under the law. Galatians chapter 4. 
Are you there with me? To usher in the new season, he must identify with the old. He repented of the law so that he can enter the new season that he wanted to bring in. That's why he went for baptism. Primarily, like I explained some time to you, you can get three major reasons why Jesus went to baptize in Jordan. One, to repent of the law. Because he was born under law. And repentance will precede the new move of God. Two, to be identified by John as the Messiah. If you see, John said, He that asked me to go baptize said to whom the dove rests upon is the one you're looking for. So he went so that he can be spotted and identified to Israel as the Messiah. Number three, it was the Lamb of God. For every lamb to be offered, it has to be washed by the priest. So John had to watch Jesus as the Lamb of God, preparing him for his sacrifice. So are the three major reasons why Jesus went for baptism. So primarily, repentance is not necessarily in relation to sins, otherwise Jesus would have been a sinner. Are you listening to me? So but he went there as the Lamb of God to be spotted out. He went there to be washed as the Lamb of God and then he repented of what? Of the law because he was born under law. Praise the living God. Hallelujah. So, if you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 15 to 16, we're going to close here tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15 to 16. Praise the living God. Okay, take it from verse 14. Let's go to verse 14. And just read it up. For your brethren became followers of the churches of God which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. Were you also suffer like things of your own countrymen? Even as they have of the Jews. Did you get that? Good. What's the next thing? Who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they pleased not God and are contrary to all men. The next verse says, Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up their sins always for the Lord is come upon them to the world to the uttermost. Rejecting the Holy Spirit, refusing the work of the Holy Spirit, then the wrath of God is come upon them. Did you get that? Because the report of the body, the operation of God by His Spirit within, this, within the church, they, they, they kind of attracted the wrath of God upon themselves. And so, if you look at Matthew 21 and verse 43, you will see what Jesus said. Matthew 21 verse 43. But did you see this? Praise God. Matthew 21 43. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth what? The fruit thereof. And this is where you begin to see 
When you move down to chapter 23 and so on, 24, 25, it becomes a kind of judgment and pronouncing of judgment that will only come upon the Jews in AD 70. So they attracted all of this thing because they rejected what? The Holy Spirit. Not because they did not know it, but they just wanted to live in unbelief. Because Nicodemus exposed them by saying, we know that we are a man come from God. Because no man can do this miracle that we are doing except God be with him. We know. But they stood up to say, man, we don't want to accept this man. Because if we do, we take our position, take our authority. Man, we follow them. They will no longer follow us. They're going to follow Jesus instead of following all of us. The authority we have will be eroded. So let's find some means to make sure people don't believe in him. That is the Messiah. They knew, but they rejected. So they come to the place of unbelief, hardness of heart. Like, I mean, chapter 7, 51, we say, stiff naked. You always resist the Holy Ghost. They were resisting the Holy Spirit. Not because they don't know about it. So they were all living the life of unbelief. And Jesus was telling them in this particular passage, Man, the kingdom is taken from you and to bring forth fruit for a nation that will bring forth fruit. It's taken away from you. The next thing you find, like we read in First Thessalonians, is that judgment is coming to you to the uttermost. So are you surprised that the Jews suffered all of the things that they suffered? You don't have to be surprised about that. In fact, Jesus told them in the book of Matthew 23, and he told them, You, right from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zacharias that was slain on the altar shall be found in your hands. The blood of those people. Are you getting what I'm saying now? So it's like accumulation of judgment. And now Jesus speaking to those people, I mean, Philip is saying, sorry, Stephen is now saying, you resist the Holy Spirit just like your father did. So all of you collaborating. In fact, he told them, you who try to go and wipe all the tombs of those who were killed, you're also doing the work of your father. Is that okay? Right. So that's what he said. And that is why you look at that statement in Matthew 23 and go back to the one they said to Pilate, let this blood be on us. Hmm? Jesus already told him, the blood of Abel down to Zechariah was killed on the altar is going to be found in your generation. So come in, that's okay, that's okay. We don't really care about that. And with Pilate said, man, I can find no fault in this man. He said, let this blood be on us. So it was accumulation of the blood of Abel down to Zechariah down to Jesus or upon their head. And are you surprised they were just like feet all over the world? Anywhere you find a Jew, it was like, man, people that are not meant to leave. <laughs> you need to read the slate of blood by Josephus. Read the story, the account there, how these people really suffered. Praise the living God. But because of the prayer they prayed, they requested. How many of you remember, even in, even in the wilderness, right on the, on the mountain, they said, we don't want to hear you anymore. Talk to Moses. Like Moses talked to us. God said, well, they've really spoken. They don't want me to talk to them. I'm going to talk to you. They were always requesting for the negative things. And that is why they suffered. Why? Because they were always resisting the Holy Spirit. Praise the living God. Are we together? So, we're going to take this on from next week. And I want you to just pick this fact for tonight. All blasphemies are forgiven. All sins are forgiven. That's what Jesus said. Is that okay? Good. And the next thing is that the sin of the scribes and Pharisees was not necessary blasphemy, but what? 
unbelief. And that's why Hebrews said, they could not enter the promised land because of what? Unbelief. And when you come into the state of unbelief, you come to the place where you begin to resist the Holy Spirit. And the scriptures say, many are led by the Spirit of God. They are what? The sons of God. The creation, the create creativity, the putting together, everything that God needs to put together, He does with His Holy Spirit. His energy force, His breath. And Luke eleven twenty said, is the finger of God. Praise the living God. I mean, you receive the finger of God upon your life in the name of Jesus. May He become your guiding strength and pillar in the name of Jesus. May he continue to speak to your ears and understand in the name of Jesus. And let this finger of God open the scriptures to your understanding. That when you read, you may understand. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.